Murder Mysteries on the Bayou. Best-selling authors have been writing about them for years. But in one Louisiana city, there's a string of unsolved murders that are anything but fiction. I'm your host, Darla Montgomery, and today on 10 Talks Acadiana, whatever happened to the Jennings 8? It's a question that documentaries and books have tried to answer. But 15 years after the first body was discovered, are the answers any closer to being found? News 10's Britt LaFosso tries to make sense of it all now on 10 Talks Acadiana. 10 Talks Acadiana, the podcast powered by KLFY.com. It was a hot, humid Louisiana night on May 17, 2005. 28-year-old Loretta Lewis was getting ready for a night out on the town. She let down her short blonde hair, threw on some clothes, and headed over to a local bar in South Jennings to have a few drinks with a friend like she'd done so many times before. It was a completely ordinary night. Loretta and her friend chased down a few beers and shared a few laughs before calling it a night. And that's when things changed. After paying her tab, Loretta stood up took her purse off her shoulder and handed it to a friend. Loretta told her friend when she left, she needed her to go to her house and hide her purse in the top of her mom's closet. Her friend asked why, and Loretta vaguely told her, just in case something happens to me. And without notice, she rushed out of the bar. Loretta's friend ran after her, but by the time she made it outside, Loretta was gone. That was the last time she ever saw her friend, Loretta Lewis. Three days later, a man was fishing in a nearby canal. As he was casting his line in the water, something caught his eye underneath the bridge where he was fishing. It looked like a mannequin. He walked around to get a better look at the doll. As he approached the bottom of the bridge, he heard a faint buzzing sound. And as he got closer and closer, the sound of flies buzzing around grew louder and louder. He looked up and saw hundreds of flies swarming around the mannequin he'd seen from the top of the bridge. And that's when he realized this was not a doll. This was a woman's dead, decomposing body. It was Loretta Lewis. When her body was found, Loretta was wearing blue jeans and a white short sleeve pullover, but her socks and shoes were missing. Her body had been in the water under that bridge for three days, which meant that it's likely Loretta died sometime after she left the bar with her friend and asked her to hide her purse that night. She knew something terrible was about to happen to her. The coroner's report said Loretta did not suffer any external injuries before her death, but did find that she had blood under her scalp. The coroner says Loretta's head was held underwater before she died, but added that her body was too badly decomposed to determine exactly how she died, a result of the muggy, unforgiving waters that her body had been submerged in for three days. The sheriff of Jeff Davis Parish, Ricky Edwards, told the public they did suspect foul play. Loretta's brother recalls the very last time he ever saw his sister. It was hours before she had drinks with her friend at the bar. Loretta was outside at a gas station waiting when a vehicle pulled up beside her. The driver rolled down his window and he recognized the man in the front seat. It was a man named Frankie Richard, a man feared by many in South Jennings. You see, Frankie was a known drug dealer in Jennings. Everyone in Jennings knew Frankie for his involvement in the town's vast drug worlds and his reputation as a pimp for many women involved in sex work. 
Loretta talked to Frankie for a few minutes before hopping in the passenger seat of his car and driving away. That is the last image Loretta's brother has of his baby sister. The next time he saw his sister, she was dead. To this day, he doesn't know where Frankie took Loretta after picking her up at that gas station. Now, Frankie Richard's name is one you'll hear over and over again as the murders continue. It's a name that each victim knew and a man each woman would come to trust. Less than a month later, on June 18th, a group of froggers went out on the water one night. They were riding their boat down the bayou when this foul odor overcame them. They slowed the boat down and followed that scent all the way to the shore. They shined their flashlights on the bank, and there, they found the source of the smell. It was a woman's dead, decomposing body. Her body was found just six miles away from where the fishermen found Loretta Lewis's body only 28 days before. The second body was so badly decomposed, it was beyond the point of recognition. Investigators had to use bone samples to identify her, and two months later, she was identified. The body belonged to a Jennings woman named Ernestine Daniels Patterson. A mom of four, Ernestine was just 30 years old. The autopsy report said her body had been sitting along the shore of that canal for three or four days, and her death was violent. Ernestine had been stabbed in the throat three times, and her throat had also been slit three times on top of that. She also had bruises on her left hand. This is a passionate, ruthless, angry murder, and Ernestine had tried to fight for her life against her attackers, but she'd lost. Sheriff Edwards said it was too early to tell if Loretta and Ernestine's deaths were related, but said there was obviously evidence of foul play and believed the woman's bodies had both been dumped over a bridge. Jennings police now had two women whose bodies had been found within just 28 days of one another, both dumped off of a bridge into waterways in rural areas around this small town of Jennings, Louisiana. There were differences in the two cases, though. The injuries to both women were different. Whereas Ernestine's neck had been slit, Loretta's body didn't have any obvious injuries that led police to believe she was killed because her body was too badly decomposed to determine a manner of death. But they could not rule out the fact that she may have been drowned. Time ticked by and police investigated, but did nothing. In fact, more women started turning up dead in Jennings. Over the next four years, six more women were murdered in this small town of only 10,000 people. Their bodies dumped in ditches and canals in rural areas all around the city. It's been 15 years and to this day, law enforcement has never solved a single one of these eight murders. And the killer, or killers, could still be walking the streets of Jennings, Louisiana today. When the killing started, women began turning up dead right after the other, and police heavily pushed the theory of a serial killer. But not too many residents buy into the serial killer theory. You see, there's more to this story, a whole lot more. The facts of each case may reveal a much deeper, much darker secret in Jennings. A secret of lies, of deception, and perhaps even of corruption in the very offices designed to keep us safe. At the end of this story, you'll be asking yourself, was this a serial killer? Or was it law enforcement behind these women's murders? I'm your host, Britt LaFasso, and this is the story of the Jeff Davis Elite. Now, before I keep going, there's something you need to understand about the town of Jennings. It's a small, quiet country town. 
Picture a lot of rice and soybean fields and farmers raising crops and cattle in rural areas all around the hub of downtown Jennings, Louisiana. Only about 10,000 people live here. There's a railroad track that passes right through the center of the town, and the north side and south side of the tracks are two very, very different worlds. North Jennings is more upper class. The doctors and lawyers of the community live here. The south side of the tracks, however, is where the lower income families live. South side, as residents call it, is known as an area for violent crime and drugs. Both Loretta Lewis and Ernestine Daniels Patterson lived on the south side. In fact, it's where almost every woman in this story grew up. And this socioeconomic factor plays a huge part in the homicide investigations. Two years went by after Loretta and Ernestine were found dead, but neither woman's case moved forward. Jennings Police and the Jeff Davis Parish Sheriff's Office say they were still actively investigating and the cases were still open, but no arrests were ever made. The town thought the deaths were a fluke, a blip on the map, and something that was all over and would never happen again. Because these two women belonged to the south side of the tracks, people and even police just figured their deaths had something to do with something bad they were caught up in, maybe drugs or prostitution. The women's families never forgot, but the rest of the people in the small town of Jennings just moved on until two years later, on March 18, 2006, when a third body was found. Just like Loretta Lewis and Ernestine Daniels Patterson, this body was found in a waterway in a rural area outside of town. The body was found mostly nude, but it had been in the water for so long, investigators had to use dental records to figure out who this was. The results soon revealed that this was Kristen Lopez, a 21-year-old woman from South Jennings. It's believed she was beaten, then drowned, and her body was dumped in this canal. Kristen was reported missing to police just eight days earlier, but police and even her family just thought she was on a drug bender. Kristen's father said she was deep into the drug scene and that while she was outgoing and kind and caring, crack controlled her life. Even Kristen's friends thought Kristen was just off on a drug bender when she went missing for a few days. Except one friend named Hannah Connor. Hannah said in the days before Kristen went missing, she started acting strange. She was nervous and paranoid. And the closer it came to the day she went missing, the less Kristen started coming around. The thing about small towns like Jennings is everyone knows one another. That's no different with the girls who were now showing up dead. Remember Frankie Richard, the pimp and underground figure so many of these women came to trust? This is where he enters the story. He just so happens to be Hannah Connor's uncle. Frankie Richard and his brother Billy often had people over at a camper on their property, and they would party for days and nights on end. Neither Kristen nor Hannah were strangers to those parties themselves. Kristen even considered Billy Richard as her second dad. This is when police started to learn that all three dead women, Loretta Lewis, Ernestine Daniels Patterson, and Kristen Lopez, often ran with the same crowd in South Jennings. It was nothing for these three women to hang out with the same people at the same parties. Parties where Frankie Richard might supply drugs and also women involved in sex work. But the public at large was not aware of this. In fact, it's at this point where the Jeff Davis Parish Sheriff's Office told the public that prostitution and living, quote, high-risk lifestyles contributed to their deaths. In short, it was a Southside problem, and even though Sheriff Ricky Edwards attributed their deaths to these reasons, still, there were no arrests made in any of their murders. 
nor were there any suspects publicly named. Less than two months after Kristen Lopez's body was found, yet another woman turned up dead. It was May 12, 2007. A man named Chad Richard and his wife were celebrating their anniversary at a Jennings Motel doing drugs. Chad's brother-in-law, Jamie Trahan, showed up. Jamie Trahan was a man known to run drugs for Frankie Richard. Chad, his wife, and Jamie continued partying at the motel room, and later that night, they decided to go for a drive. Chad says Jamie started acting strange while he was driving. They were driving down rural gravel roads south of Jennings when Jamie slowed down the truck and made this big, wide turn onto Bobby Road. Chad told Jamie there, next to the car, he saw a body lying in fetal position in the headlights as they made the turn. Jamie told him, no, Chad, that's just a deer. But Chad says that he could see that it was a human body because the body was wet and shiny, and a deer would have had fur. The men argued for a while, but they never turned back around. The trio just kept on driving until they made it back to the motel. Chad says early the next morning, Jamie went back to Bobby Road and called police to report that he just came across a dead body. Chad confronted Jamie about why he went back there if he knew that it was just a deer. Jamie said he didn't. He said he passed by the area on his way home and confirmed it was in fact a body, but couldn't call police because he had drugs in the truck. Jamie says he went home, dropped off his truck, went back to Bobby Road and called police at 7.15 that morning. Chad believed Jamie put that body there, though, because he knew to make that big wide turn that night and miss the body with his truck. But Jamie pointed his finger at Frankie Richard. This fourth body had all the hallmarks of the other three women found dead, except this body was found on a rural road, not a rural canal. This fourth woman had been beaten so badly, her face was unrecognizable. She also had bruising on her lower body. Police had to identify this woman using fingerprints from her previous arrests, and they soon discovered that this body belonged to a woman named Whitney Dubois from South Jennings. She was only 26 years old. Her cause of death could not be determined, but investigators believe Whitney was kept in a barrel of formaldehyde and bleach in an attempt to erase forensic evidence. It was now May of 2007, and two women had been found dead in Jennings within two months. Bringing the count of women who had been murdered in Jennings up to four in just two years, and bringing the number of arrests made to zero. This is the point where the FBI is called in to assist Jennings Police and the Jeff Davis Parish Sheriff's Office in their investigations. The people in Jennings were now terrified, and whisperings of a possible serial killer made their way through town. But Sheriff Ricky Edwards stopped short in referring to the killings as the work of a serial killer. That did not stop the public, though, from contemplating the idea of a serial killer. The thought that someone was running around killing women in Jennings and dumping their bodies all around the city scared the hell out of people here. And to residents, there was no other explanation that made sense. The fact that police had made no arrests for any of the four murders in the two years this had been happening put the town even more on edge. Law enforcement knew they had to do something, anything, Three days after the fourth victim, Whitney Dubois, was found along that rural road, the first arrests finally come. Frankie Richard and Hannah Connor are arrested for the second-degree murder. Not for Whitney's murder, but for the murder of the third victim, Kristen Lopez. If you remember, Hannah Connor and Frankie Richard had a close relationship with Kristen. 
Hannah was the friend who said Kristen had been acting strange in the days before she went missing. Hannah and Kristen grew up together in South Jennings and stayed close friends all the way to the end when Kristen was killed. Frankie Richard was Hannah's uncle, so naturally, Frankie, Hannah, and Kristen grew close. They hung out, they partied together. They were practically family. These are the people who police were now saying killed Kristen Lopez. Frankie was already in jail on unrelated rape charges when police issued his arrest warrant while Hannah was apprehended at her boyfriend's house. Police say they arrested Hannah and Frankie after a woman named Tracy Chasson came forward with a story about Hannah and Frankie killing Kristen. Tracy told detectives that Frankie, Hannah, and Kristen were riding around town getting high. She says while they were driving around, Frankie wanted Kristen to perform oral sex on him. But when she said no, he stopped the car, beat her, and Hannah held Kristen's head underwater until she drowned. They then dumped her body in a canal. Tracy said she was there and actually saw them kill Kristen. Frankie and Hannah adamantly denied Tracy's story. Frankie admitted he was close with Kristen and they often partied together. In fact, he admitted he partied with all of the women who had been killed in Jennings and there had been rumors linking him to all of their deaths. But he says he did not kill any of them, especially Kristen. He says he viewed Kristen as a daughter and never tried to have sex with her. He says the two were actually so close that Kristen called him Uncle Frankie. Frankie did admit to investigative reporter Ethan Brown later that he had spent a lot of time with Kristen in the two weeks before she turned up dead. He said he, Kristen, and Hannah had rented a motel room and spent many nights partying with the two girls. But one night, he suspected the girls of stealing and kicked them out. He claims that night at the motel was the last time he ever saw Kristen. But of course, no matter how much Frankie and Hannah denied that they had had no involvement in Kristen's murder, it did not change the fact that police had this witness stepping forward with a confession like this. It was the best lead they had, and quite frankly, it was the only lead they had up until this point. When Frankie and Hannah were arrested for Kristen Lopez's murder, it quelled fears in town about a possible serial killer running around. But that did not last long, because two weeks later, police quietly dropped the murder charges on Frankie and Hannah, and the two were cleared of all criminal charges. Police did this as sly and under the radar as possible. They were afraid this would throw the public into an absolute frenzy and just flat out make their department look incompetent. But of course, when people see Hannah Connor running around town again, the secret gets out, and police have to come out and say why they dropped the murder charges. Tracy, the witness whose statement led to Frankie and Hannah's arrest, came out and said she made it all up. She says Jennings' detectives would not leave her alone and were relentlessly pushing her for information, so she just made up the entire story. Tracy says when police questioned her, they led her to what they wanted her to say, and they wanted a way to implicate Frankie in the murders. Tracy said Jennings police had a personal vendetta against Frankie for his involvement in running drugs, pimping out women, and all kinds of crimes he was connected to in Jennings. And with all the pressure from the community to make an arrest, police didn't care that their arrests were based on a lie. Tracy says police wanted her to tell them that Frankie killed Kristen and Hannah helped clean it up. That way Hannah would get a manslaughter charge and police could convince Hannah to say that Frankie killed Kristen to take the heat off of herself. With Tracy and Hannah both saying that Frankie killed Kristen, police would have two witnesses to back up their story. Tracy said after she told police the story of Frankie and Hannah killing Kristen, though, she came out and admitted it was a lie. And Hannah never told police that her uncle Frankie killed Kristen. With no other evidence tying Frankie to Kristen's murder, police had no choice but to drop the charges. Hannah was free to go, and Frankie was released from jail two months later 
after his rape charges were dropped by the victim. Another year inched by and there was no movement in any of the cases of the four women who had been murdered and whose bodies had been dumped around Jennings. Police did not announce any suspects, any evidence, and of course, there were no arrests. With no new developments in the cases, the story slowly started fading from headlines and from the front of people's minds. Until one year later, on May 29, 2008. It was 2 o'clock in the morning, the dead of night and Jennings' police officer was out on patrol. He was riding down a rural road on the outskirts of Jennings when he saw this huge red carpet rolled up, lying in the middle of the road. He got out and walked over to it to move it out of the way. But as he got closer, he realized there was something in it. He started unrolling the carpet and it did not take long for him to realize it was a woman's dead body. She was clothed, but she wasn't wearing shoes. And when the officer unrolled the carpet, he noticed that her white tank top was stained pink. Detectives believe her shirt was bleached and the pink color left behind was blood. She had been stabbed in her head and neck. She had three cuts behind her right ear and seven cuts on the front of her neck. It appeared she'd been murdered elsewhere and her body was dumped along this rural road out of a vehicle. The next day, the victim was identified as 23-year-old Laconia Brown from the south side of Jennings. Laconia also ran in the same clique and circle of people as the other four victims. Yet the Jeff Davis Parish Sheriff's Office said that the persons of interest in the other cases did not overlap with Laconia's murder. Laconia was last seen two days before her body was found. Her grandmother says it was early in the morning. Laconia went out to a bar that evening around 8 o'clock and had gumbo at a friend's house. She returned home at 1.30 in the morning, took a bath and a nap, and packed a suitcase. Before leaving, her grandmother says Laconia said a tearful goodbye to her young son and made her grandmother promise that she'd raise him if anything was to happen to her. She left without telling her grandmother where she was going, and that was the last time she ever saw Laconia. Her body was found two days later rolled up in that red carpet along that rural road. Laconia's grandmother said in the days before she left her son and home with her bags packed, she'd been paranoid. She even told her grandmother she knew she was going to be the next victim. Somehow, she knew she was going to be the fifth woman killed in Jennings. And she was right. Laconia was now the fifth Jennings woman killed and dumped in rural Jennings in just three years. Besides police arresting Frankie and Hannah on the basis of a false witness statement and dropping the charges for Kristen Lopez's murder, police had nothing. No one was announced as a suspect. No one was in jail for any of the killings. People were now convinced that a serial killer was on the loose, targeting women. Specifically, they thought this serial killer was killing a specific circle of women from South Jennings, women who liked to party with Frankie Richard, and women with substance abuse issues. All five women who had been found murdered all lived on the south side of Jennings, they all struggled with addiction, they all partied with the same crowd, and they all knew each other. They were all friends. After Laconia was found dead, it was now clear as day that these murders were connected. Police had nothing concrete, but the same players were involved in every single case. Laconia knew the other four women. The five women all knew one another. They saw their friends being killed one by one, and in Laconia's case, she knew she was going to be next. Laconia's family and the other four victims' families grilled police, demanding answers for what was happening to their loved ones. 
It had been three years since the first woman turned up dead, and the killings were only getting worse. Just three months after Laconia's body was found, four hunters were out in the woods. It was September 11, 2008. The hunters were walking around the forest looking for animal tracks when they came across skeletal remains. They were curious at first, wondering what animal died here. But being experienced hunters, they quickly realized these were not the remains of an animal when they saw a skull. These bones were human. Within hours, investigators were all over the scene. Sheriff Edwards said that there was no way to know when this person died or exactly how long their body had been out there in the woods. But given how decomposed the body was, they could tell that it had been out there in the elements for a long time. The state of decomposition was so advanced this body was basically just a skeleton, and investigators were never able to figure out exactly how this person died. The only thing they could tell was that there was no obvious signs of trauma. Because of this, investigators once again had to rely on DNA and dental records to identify who this person was. While police waited for DNA testing on these bones, they get a call from a person who lived near the area where the body was found. This person told police they heard a woman screaming one night a few weeks before the skeletal remains were found. And this was odd because this was a very, very rural area. No one would be wandering around out here late at night. They thought it was strange but didn't think anything of it until that skeleton was found in the area where they heard the woman's screams coming from. Rumors fly rampantly and police spend hours searching the woods but police don't uncover anything. And they tell the public that the screams the resident heard must have just been bobcat calls. Finally, over a month after waiting for DNA results, they confirmed that the skeletal remains were those of a 24-year-old woman named Crystal Zeno from South Jennings. Crystal's friends say she was involved in sex work and struggled with drug addiction, like the other victims. And the weeks before she went missing, her friends say Crystal had started selling drugs for none other than Frankie Richard. But this is all of the information police say they had. They found her body in the woods, but police couldn't figure out when or how she got there. They couldn't even tell people why someone wanted Crystal dead. It had been years for some of the victims' families at this point, and no one knew why their loved ones were murdered or who killed them. The families really did not trust police or the sheriff's office at this point and started hiring their own private investigators. There was no way that six women from South Jennings, who were friends and hung out in the same crowd, were all killed by mere coincidence. And there was no way that after three years, police had no evidence to pin down any suspects or leads. People began to suspect that something was going on, something shady in the very offices designed to keep them safe. But even with the help of private investigators, the killings did not stop. On November 8, 2008, two months after the sixth victim was found dead, 17-year-old Brittany Ann Gary from South Jennings disappears without a trace. It was a Sunday night, and Brittany left home and walked a few blocks down the road to a nearby family dollar to buy minutes for her cell phone. Surveillance video shows her checking out and walking out of the store. After 30 minutes had passed and Brittany was not home from what should have been a quick trip to the store and back, her mom calls her phone. It went straight to voicemail, again and again 
and again. Brittany's mom waits up all night waiting for Brittany to walk through the front door, but she never does. And right away, Brittany's mom knew she was in danger. You see, Brittany was the second cousin of Kristen Lopez, the third woman murdered in Jennings. Brittany was also a personal or family friend of Loretta Lewis, Laconia Brown, and Crystal Zeno, the first, fifth, and sixth women who had been killed. Brittany had only been back in Jennings for a week after moving to Texas for four months. She'd been trying to escape the drug life in South Jennings, and now, after only being back in Jennings for less than seven days, Brittany's family worried she would be the seventh victim. When news breaks that a teenage girl from South Jennings is missing, Sheriff Ricky Edwards goes on local TV and says this, There's something going on. We either have a serial dumper, we could have a serial killer, but at this point, we only have three of our six victims that have actually been identified as a homicide. A reporter asks, what's a serial dumper? And Sheriff Edwards says, I don't really know. That's terminology I guess we're making up. Basically, it could be the same thing where it's the same person that's involved with them getting overdosed and just dumping their bodies elsewhere. And yeah, serial dumper sounds as crazy then as it does now. Sheriff Edwards specifically said, it could be the same person involved with them getting overdosed. An autopsy showed that each woman did have drugs in her system at the time of her death, most often cocaine and alcohol. Sheriff Edwards says this means some of these women may have just died of an overdose and that the sheriff's office couldn't classify them as homicides because of that. But let's review. Remember, the coroner believes someone held Loretta Lewis's head underwater. Ernestine Patterson was stabbed in the neck multiple times. Kristen Lopez's face was beaten to the point where her own family didn't recognize her before she was drowned. Whitney Dubois' body was kept in a barrel of formaldehyde and bleach. Laconia Brown's throat was slit. She had bleach poured on her, and she was rolled up in a carpet. And Crystal Zeno was nothing but a skeleton when she was found in the middle of the woods. But yeah, let's not rule out the possibility of an overdose, Sheriff Edwards. Brittany's family obviously does not trust police or the sheriff's office, so when Brittany never returns home from the store, Brittany's family organizes their own search party without the sheriff's office help and search all over Jennings and the rest of the parish for Brittany. And after two weeks of combing the town, they find Brittany Gary and her mother's worst fears come to life. A civilian who is helping Brittany's family search for her comes across a body in the brush of a sugarcane field right off of a rural road outside of Jennings. The woman is not wearing any clothes except for a gray beaded bracelet around one of her ankles. The sight Brittany's mom says she has to see when she first saw her daughter again, lying hidden away in the brush, is absolutely heart-wrenching. Brittany's mom describes all that was left of her daughter's decomposing face, and it's horrifying. She says all that was left of her face was a piece of black bone shaped like she was wearing a Mardi Gras mask. She had no eyes, and maggots were crawling out of Brittany's nose, mouth, and eye sockets. And she said it looked like Brittany had been beaten to death. The only way she could even identify her daughter was because of her tattoos. Two days later, authorities confirmed that this is, in fact, Brittany Gary using dental and orthopedic records. And at only 17 years old, Brittany Gary becomes the youngest of all seven of the victims whose bodies had been dumped in Jennings in the last three years. Her official cause of death is asphyxia with drug intoxication, which basically means she's suffocated as a result of drugs. Cocaine and alcohol are found in her system at her time of death. 
Law enforcement does not rule Brittany's death as a homicide because they say it is possible that drugs led to her death. But that does not answer the question of who dumped her body on the side of this rural road or why they dumped her body instead of calling police or an ambulance when they realized she was dying or already dead. If Brittany did overdose, whoever she was with got rid of her body and wanted to keep what happened to her a secret. Sheriff Edwards addresses the people of Jennings once again, who are panicking that a seventh woman has now been found dead, but he still refuses to call the killer a serial killer, saying he'd prefer to stick with multiple homicides. But he does say they believe the killer, or killers, is someone local, someone who lives there and knows the roads in the area. Frankie Richard's name is thrown around as a possible suspect, but even Brittany's mom says police are just using Frankie as a scapegoat for something much darker that law enforcement is a part of. She thinks they know more than what they're letting on, and they're hiding something. She believes Jennings Police and the Jeff Davis Parish Sheriff's Office know what's happening to these women because somehow they're involved and they're covering it up. It's a crazy allegation, but whenever you think about it, it's not entirely crazy. How can seven women who, again, were friends, turn up dead without police uncovering even the slightest bit of evidence or information about any of their murders after three years? And Brittany's mom is not the only person in Jennings who has these suspicions. People from South Jennings express their frustration over law enforcement's reactions to the murders and the portrayal of these victims as prostitutes and drug addicts and criminals. One resident says in a TV interview, they call the killer a serial dumper. Well, what do you dump other than trash? That says a lot. The people in Southside Jennings are furious and frustrated. In three years, seven women from South Jennings who were friends and partied together and ran with the same crowds were killed and their bodies were dumped in rural roads and canals. Seven women who all struggled with substance abuse and seven women who were constantly in and out of the Jeff Davis Parish Jail all the time for petty crimes and drug charges. These women were not only known around South Jennings, but they were known to Jennings Police and the Jeff Davis Parish Sheriff's Office. They were familiar with these women and their histories and their circles. How was it that police couldn't even come close to solving a single one of these cases? Weeks after the seventh woman is found dead, the FBI Behavioral Analysis Unit comes to Jennings. They visit all seven of the crime scenes and agents spend eight hours at each scene. But they don't release any new information though. In the following weeks, residents of South Jennings flood city council meetings, demanding action on the murders. One preacher stands up and says, our area has become one of the most embarrassing cities in the state of Louisiana. If you cannot do the job, let us know soon and we will legitimately seek other solutions to change our landscape and the elected officials who refuse to help us. Obviously, residents are not only scared of this possible serial killer on the loose, but they are frustrated and infuriated that Jennings Police and the Sheriff's Office has let this killer roam the streets and prey on these women of South Jennings for over three years now. People are asking law enforcement, will it take a high-class citizen from the north side of town to die for police to actually take these murders seriously and finally do something? Finally. On December 18, 2008, a month after Brittany's body was found, Sheriff Edwards announces they formed a task force of eight people to work full-time on these cases and search for leads. It literally takes seven women in South Jennings to be murdered before law enforcement finally forms this task force. 
The task force includes the Jeff Davis Parish Sheriff's Office, Jennings Police, the FBI, Louisiana State Police, the Attorney General's Office, the District Attorney's Office, and a few sheriff's offices in the surrounding areas. All of these people assisted in the investigation. But let's be clear, the Jeff Davis Parish Sheriff's Office was in charge, and they were running the show. The task force sets up a call center. Sheriff Edwards also holds a press conference where he releases a set of characteristics to look out for, but as that detective don't know if they're looking for one killer or seven. Victims' families explode into anger, saying no one in law enforcement ever even questioned them about their loved ones' disappearances. Some families say police even blocked them from seeing the bodies of their loved ones before they were buried. The task force did seem promising to some victims' families, but those hopes were quickly shattered as the weeks went on. Many people said they would go to the task force with information about the women, but the task force either didn't get back to them or they just straight up didn't want to hear it. People said that they wanted to give information, but they weren't allowed to. Police in the sheriff's office refused to take their statements. At this point, the people of Jennings were completely divided, typically right along the railroad tracks that separated the middle and upper class north side of Jennings from the south side of Jennings, where drugs and crime took over lower income neighborhoods. People in Jennings really chose sides. They either supported the police in the sheriff's office and believed they were trying their best, or they were adamantly against them, convinced that law enforcement was hiding something and that they knew way more about these women's deaths than they were letting on. As the months go on, nothing really happens. The only thing the task force does is offer a $35,000 reward for information leading to the capture of the killer, or killers. But again, people say the task force refuses to take their statements and turns them away. Even America's Most Wanted reaches out to the Jeff Davis Parish Sheriff's Office and offered them a spot on their website to provide information about the seven women who were found dead and their search for the killer. But producers for the show say they did not receive cooperation from the sheriff's office and they wouldn't work with them to get the story out there. Although the task force does nothing to move any of the cases forward, it's not a total disaster. After the task force is formed in December of 2008, the killings actually stop. Six months go by without another woman turning up dead. By August of 2009, people in Jennings were finally starting to relax again, thinking maybe the killer had moved on, scared away by all of the national attention and the publicity the murders were attracting. Well, some people in Jennings were hopeful. Twenty-six-year-old Nicole Guillory of South Jennings was more paranoid than ever. Her family says she'd been scared and paranoid ever since the first victim, Loretta Lewis, was found dead four years earlier. But lately, Nicole was even more on edge. She was so paranoid, she even locked herself in her room for two weeks. Nicole's birthday was coming up, and the week before her birthday, her mom asked her what kind of icing she wanted on her birthday cake. Nicole told her mom that it didn't matter because she wouldn't be here. To see her birthday anyways. She told her mom she felt like she was going to be the next victim. She wouldn't elaborate though telling her parents that the less they knew, the better. On the night of August 16, 2009, Nicole left home. She never returned. Three days later, weeding crews are working alongside Interstate 10 in Egan, a town 11 miles from Jennings. The crew noticed something about 150 feet off of the roadway from where they were working and started walking towards it. They did not have to walk far, though, for they could see it was the partially clothed dead body of a woman. The sheriff's office quickly confirmed it was Nicole Guillory. 
Her cause of death was asphyxia, leading to the belief that she had been suffocated. She had cuts on the left side of her face, her left eyebrow, and her left clavicle. An autopsy revealed she had cocaine and alcohol in her system when she died, and there was possibly sperm inside of her. Law enforcement believed she had been dumped out of a vehicle traveling on I-10. Nicole's parents say they were never allowed to see their daughter's body. Nicole was the only victim found outside of Jeff Davis Parish, and Sheriff Edwards tells the public that the killer, or killers, could be changing up their process. That's all the new information he was able to provide on this elusive killer who'd been killing the women of South Jennings for four years now. Between May of 2005 and August of 2009, eight women had been found dead in Jennings, with the exception of Nicole Guillory being found 10 miles away. All eight women's bodies had been dumped on a rural road or in a canal. All eight women grew up in and or lived in South Jennings. All eight women had a history of substance abuse issues. All eight women had been known to be involved in sex work, and they shared the same pimp, a violent man named Frankie Richard. All eight women partied with the same circle of people and ran with the same crowd. And all eight women knew each other. And in fact, some of the women may have even been witnesses to the other women's murders themselves. You see, police interrogated the third victim, Kristen Lopez, as a witness in the death of the first victim, Loretta Lewis. People close to the fifth victim, Laconia Brown, told the task force that Laconia had actually seen the body of the first victim, Loretta Lewis, floating in the canal before the fisherman found her. Laconia Brown was also interviewed as a witness in the second victim's murder, Ernestine Daniels Patterson. Brittany Gary, the seventh victim, was walking around with Crystal Zeno, the sixth victim, one day and told her that Uncle Frankie killed Whitney Dubois, the fourth victim. Crystal then told Brittany she knew who killed Laconia Brown, the fifth victim. It makes you wonder, were these women killed because they knew too much? Did they witness the other women's murders and became targets themselves for snitching about what they saw? It would make sense why some of the women knew they were going to be the next victims. Another witness went to the task force months before Nicole Guillory, the eighth victim, was killed and told them that Nicole was going to be the next victim. And indeed, she was. Nicole Guillory, the eighth victim, told her family she actually saw some of the murders. Nicole told her mom she knew who had been killing these women from the very first victim, Loretta Lewis. She's known the whole time. And when her mom asked her who was killing these women, Nicole told her it was the police killing all of these girls. So what did these eight women know? Why were they killed? How did some of the women know that they were going to be the next victim? Why are these cases still unsolved? And what secrets is the town of Jennings, Louisiana really hiding? In the coming episodes, I'll dive into the lies, misconduct, and corruption circulating in the Jennings Police Department and the very personal relationships law enforcement officers had with many of the Jeff Davis 8 victims. In the meantime, if you have information on any of the Jeff Davis 8 deaths, call 337-824-3850. Today, the reward stands at $85,000.
10 Talks Acadiana. Subscribe wherever podcasts are downloaded. A Nexstar Media Production.